my favorite time of the weekend, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks who speak. It's getting to be that time to register to vote. If you have not done so, take a second. Push pause right now. It's so easy. It will just take a second. Go to vote.org. We're running up on the deadline to be registered to vote. It's so important that gamers and geeks have their voice heard, too. We really believe in it. Vote.org is the place to go. And DLC is on the air. DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that's completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who spent another year not getting an Emmy, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. We are recording this late slash early, a day early Sunday, but late at night Sunday, and uh, you are currently on the road. I just got back from being on the road, so if I really sound like I don't care, I do care, but please know that traveling um, across this country with two, a preschooler and a toddler, uh, it's work, yo, so I'm here um, in spirit, you know? <laughs> I appreciate it, and I, it, this is basically because of my schedule. I am in a hotel room right now if I sound weird and not not you how i sound usually if i can't speak <laughs> it's because i just spent 12 hours covering the uh oracle open world conference here in san francisco uh so but we're we're working with our schedules and we're we're getting this done are you on hotel and wi-fi i am on hotel wi-fi but i paid, <laughs> paid for the premium this is episode's ending in like 10 minutes <laughs> i paid for the premium dude i paid for the the extra special you know they have two tiers i paid for top tier uh, inter- internet hotel wi-fi uh <laughs> but we shall see and i'm literally the sound guy on our shoot like lent me a microphone it's it's all cobbled together but that's what we do here we we get you we get you the news we get you your video game content every week uh however Barely. we can <laughs> <laughs> and we are lucky to have uh, our guest with us. Uh, you know him. You love him. You know the DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But sometimes we have to call upon our dependable late-night co-host, a guy who can answer the call at any time. And we are so glad to have uh, basically the, the third chair, our third chair. He's our go-to man, Anthony Taormina from GameRant.com. Thanks, man, for, for being here late at night with us. I'm here. I'm awake. I'm prepared. Basically, if if I'm on, you know, something is is off with your schedules, <laughs> or or you we're talking guy. destiny, and this is kind of a little both, maybe. <laughs> yeah, let's start but, there. Let's let's start with how excited you are for uh, for the imminent launch of of uh, Rise of Iron. Rise of Iron, yeah, Rise of Iron tomorrow night, two p.m. my t- or two a.m. my time. I will be awake playing. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll be streaming it. So if you want to like our Facebook page facebook.com slash game rant i'm gonna stream the entire run of the story missions literally everything that there is to do in terms of like content i'm gonna try and go through uh tomorrow night and wow in one night you're gonna try to do everything in one night i did it with the taken king and it was it was uh pretty popular it was i don't know it's it's one of those things like i mean when a new wow expansion comes out jeff don't you want to like stay up all night and yeah, but I don't want to see all of it in one night. I well, wanna... these these aren't like these aren't like as substantial as an expansion. It's not. This is only like a thirty dollar expansion. I don't expect it to take me more than 
maybe five hours to get through like really? the story stuff. But then the grinding and the raid starts on Friday. It's it's really like if you are obsessed with Destiny, uh, you love the raids and you want to play the raid as fresh as possible without any spoilers. And in order to do that, you have to put in the ultimate grind for like three days. Uh, are you your your love affair with Destiny has not waned. Your back Rise of Iron is is what you want uh, it to it be. It waned for a little bit. Basically after in about March, around March, I kind of came to the realization of there's not really going to be any new content coming out and then about June or so or July, me and the people that I played with, we said, "Okay, well, it seems pretty easy to hit the new level cap. Let's just like put in a little time every week and try and get there." We got there and then in the last, I don't know, couple weeks, we've been really putting in the hours to get everything prepared. It's a lot of stuff. It sounds very nerdy for me, you know, edging factions and things that people might not understand, but um, we're essentially getting prepared. No, I, I get it, dude. I just went through that with Legion, and, I, you know, I can turn my nose down at, at Destiny all I want, but I'm right there with WoW. So it's really just pick your poison. It's, it's what yeah. game are you obsessive about, and I love that you're obsessive about this one. I just happen to not be. Yeah, I mean, there is a strong community of people that hate the game and a strong community of people who love the game. And uh, I absolutely enjoy every moment I play with it. It is easily one of those, like, just games that you you play for five hours and you go, I really did nothing today. I accomplished nothing today. I don't even know if I did anything in the game but i played it and i was chatting with my friends and it was fun i don't know it's there's no way to describe it no no that's a great way to describe it i i'm i'm i understand it i get it i love it i certainly don't hate that game i'm glad people have it and and love it and i just wish there was more variety of stuff to do because uh yes i hear every every complaint that people have about the game I 100% hear it. I was a person that got on board for Division because Division was supposed to be kind of a a different type of Destiny-esque experience, and I jumped off, and I really dislike everything about that game now. So I can I feel you if wow. you hate Destiny. Well, I don't I, like I said I don't hate Destiny. No, no, no. I'm saying to, to the people in general because right. I know there are a lot of people that are like, "Boo, the Destiny guy is on now." <laughs> if, if Jeff, if you've been listening to these episodes since episode one and you've stuck with us by 145 episodes, you now should know you have your uh, code, your your ring decoder. Whenever Jeff says, "I'm glad that you love this game," what he really means is, "I hate that piece of crap game." You <laughs> that just is can't so not true. Utter the words out of his. Mouth. I I literally I I can't. <laughs> I I can relate. It's just not my particular flavor. I mean, I'm the guy who, sitting in my hotel room last night, I brought my laptop so and I loaded WoW onto it so that I could play it at literally the lowest settings. It is on the lowest settings that WoW can be set at because that's what my laptop can handle. But I still need to run what? World Quests while I'm here because is I got to get my eye level up. Is that setting called addiction? What setting is that? Yes, yes. That is that is literally you're looking at garbage on screen, but it's barely enough to just make the game playable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear you. I've, I've given many a person my PSN login info because I have not been near a PlayStation and I needed somebody to buy something or do something. <laughs> That's I was in Italy. I was in Italy texting a good friend saying, "Hey, here's my login. I need you to go buy this and do this." And he was a, he was a real trooper because it was a pain in the butt. But 
was in Italy on my honeymoon, and I was like, I need you to do this thing for me because I won't be able to do it when I get back. Like, he's, you're like, I need you to buy a laser blaster in a fictional world. And he's like, okay, buy actual leather shoes from Italy for me then, yeah. and we'll make a swap. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps when you have somebody who understands. And, and but I've, I mean, I've had my wife sign in and buy stuff. I've said, you need, okay, you need to go here. Now walk, <laughs> now walk, walk. Okay, show me what you see. And it worked. That's amazing. I love it. Uh, all right. Well, I, I promise we're not going to talk too much about Destiny, although we got to get you back on after Rise of Iron comes out because uh, I want to hear you gush about the actual experience of playing it. Well, although if it's only five hours, you know, I don't know how much can you talk about, really? Oh, um, I can talk forever. <laughs> uh, but we do have to start the show in the way we normally do, which is with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Great stuff there. Again, more people giving out free codes for games in our Reddit. Uh, there is a really awesome thread in there. I, want, I wanted to uh, bring up last week, and I neglected to. Uh, about a person moving to a new part of the country and hoping to meet friends that can play games with him. And people responded and gave great recommendations on where to go and how to, you know, how to acclimate to his new area. I just love that stuff. Really cool community of people. So check that out, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And also email us. We're at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting your emails about any part of the show. Questions or comments are always welcome. All right, Anthony, you know the drill. You've been around this block enough times. You have uh, control of the con. What is your story of the week? Um, I think my story of the week, it, I want to take the two that are in our little document and put them together. Basically, the concept of the PS4 Pro upscaling 4K and then Microsoft saying most Scorpio games or games that were in, are in the Scorpio timeline if they're calling it that, will run at native 4K. I think that's an interesting thing to discuss and talk about. Yes, so obviously these are the two uh, new upgrades for the current generation of consoles who are aimed at delivering 4K content. The PS4 Pro, which we're getting this year, and uh, Project Scorpio, which probably won't be its final title, but the Xbox One version that will do 4K. Uh, Microsoft has been crowing ever since the official PS4 Pro announcement about how much more powerful Scorpio is going to be than the PS4 Pro. And here we have more examples of that. So in an interview uh, with Digital Spy, uh, Andrew House, a Sony executive, talked about the fact that most of the games on the slate now that will support the PS4 Pro's 4K abilities are going to upscale to 4K, which means they're not going to be natively uh, natively rendered in 4K. They're not going to actually... The, the engine itself won't actually render each pixel of that resolution. It will render a lower resolution, and then the, the system itself will upscale to 4K and output at 4K. Now, he thinks that that's not um, a disingenuous thing that's not saying hey 
you know, this thing is de- developed for 4K, it's going to deliver 4K. Whether we upscale to 4K or whether we do native 4K, it doesn't really matter to and the end user. They're doing, it's like a quad, I don't, I'm not technical, but it's like a quad something 4K that's not quite just like a pixel doubling. Like there's some tech going in to make it apparently, from what I've heard and what I've read from Eyes On, like a nice cool version of upscaling but i feel like there's not quite a term for it i think the key is it's not rendering natively at 4k and they're doing some other version of hitting that hitting that resolution right and now meanwhile uh the publishing manager for microsoft studios had a interesting discussion with usa today saying any games that we're making that are launching on scorpio will natively render at 4k which means uh each pixel will be actually rendered by the by the engine it takes a heck of a lot more horsepower to do that so anthony you're bringing these two things up juxtaposing them i think they they obviously uh talk to each other in a lot of ways what is your feeling about this do you agree with andrew house that it kind of doesn't matter or do you think that this is a win for microsoft because they're actually natively doing 4k i think it's a win for microsoft personally i think that there are a lot of people that have, since the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One S have been announced, who have been ask, asking about 4K gaming, saying 4K gaming, 4K gaming. And I always say to them, it's not really 4K. You're not really getting 4K. It's kind of like in, in the era of, which we kind of, in some ways, are still in now, of it's not, not every game is 1080p. Right. Um, where That's actually Anthony's new voicemail message when you call him. It just says that. It just says it. It really, it really is a case of how much do you really value getting the thing that you think you're getting. I guess you know. You do you notice 1080p? Do you know? Are you the type of person that when playing a game go, oh my god, this 1080p 60 is glorious, or are you just oh, it, it, I don't see a difference. Are you the type of person that notices? the those type of details i think it will be more apparent with with seeing like a native 4k game versus a 1080p native game but as far as like the upscaling it it says a lot that microsoft is confident that they're going to be able to run native 4k versus the the pro is essentially just going to deliver better looking games that aren't exactly what what is being promised i think it is misleading in some ways because of that it's all about them teraflops, man. My, yeah. my, Microsoft keeps telling us about the flops. Um, teraflops. And they certainly, on paper, have the horsepower to, to you know, do that. I think ultimately, you know, you, you talk about 1080, the 1080p situation. Halo 5, you put Halo 5 on my television, and I think it looks amazing, right? I don't yeah. care when it's a high resolution, when it's not a high resolution. If I, you know, if I'm really paying attention, maybe I can discern when it pops in and pops out or because there's doing it's doing dynamic things with resolution and it's doing some trickery. I think ultimately the game experience is most important. So if Scorpio is doing native 4K, but it's doing native 4K with some some big frame rate drops, that's going to be a less interesting experience or a less satisfying experience than upscaling and maintaining a rock-solid frame rate. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. Who knows? Maybe Scorpio does have the power to just keep it rock-solid at, at you know 30 frames per second at 4K. And maybe these games will look a heck of a lot better. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. And there's going to be a heck of a lot of people that don't even have 4K TVs for whom this doesn't matter. 
I'm pretty confident that either way, both of these systems are going to look better on a 4K TV than they would on a 1080p TV. And it's going to be really interesting to see comparisons, you know, with my own human eye on my own 4K TV that I have in my house, what looks better. Um, Christian, what do you think about this? I think it all comes down to price. Um, Destructoid, when they were kind of talking about the um, Microsoft, you know, jab that all their stuff is going to run natively at 4K, you know, they talked about what it would take to current graphic card setup to run native at 4K for, you know, today's games. And it's thousands of dollars. Like Microsoft has kind of positioned Scorpio as a premium product. And they certainly have had success in the past with the Xbox One Elite controller and creating a, a premium product and selling it at a premium price and people flocking to it. But I don't know if that works for a console. And so I think it's two things. I think it's price, what Scorpio comes out at, and it's Delta to PlayStation 4 Pro. And then how they utilize or how they stick by or um, validate the it's still an Xbox One. It's still a PS4 kind of claim where if I'm still playing Call of Duty 2018 on these consoles, you know, what's the Delta in graphics going to be between the Scorpio or the PS4 Pro or the PS4 and the Xbox One? Is it going to be PS3 to PS4 version of, you know, Destiny, like that cross-gen or that Call of Duty or is it going to be pretty much the same? And so I think that's where you run into the problems. If Xbox Scorp- One Scorpio is way more powerful, but it's still running the same games because it kind of has to run the same game that's running on regular Xbox One, you know, would you care if it has 10% more foliage or hair effects or not? And then if it's coming in at $600, $700, and the PS4 Pro has now been out for a year and is maybe hitting that, 300 250 price point then do i care it, it's there's a lot of question marks hanging but i think those are the two biggest yeah it's it, it remains to be seen um and i do think this is a big deal i think um those of us with 4k tvs obviously uh, want the best visual quality that we can get and the messaging around ps4 pro like we talked about last week is a little muddy it's like well yeah, it's going to be 4K, kind of. It'll be upscaled, but also maybe sometimes you'll prefer to be in 1080p with just cooler graphical effects switched on, or maybe you'll not want to do that. And it's, it seems like you have all these weird options, almost like a PC gamer, where you can make <laughs> trade-offs and flip switches and do scale, you know, adjust uh, scales. And I feel like not, not enough people know that like their current TV can't run 4K. Really? There are, there are a lot of people, yeah, that I talk to where it seems like, do you realize that in order, they're like, well, no, the update to the current PS4, no, it still needs a Ultra Well, I think HD. that's the ADR, HDR stuff. I think yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't understand that HDR is, even if they have a 4K TV, they might not have HDR. Yes, so exactly. I mean, I, yeah, I, th- I think there is there is more confusion over what is technically 4K, Um in addition to the fact of, like, these games aren't even going to run at 4K. I think people are going to buy a PS4 Pro and play it on their 1080p TV and go, look at this 4K game. And everybody's going to go, oh, it looks great. But then somebody's going to come on and go, you realize that it's that's not 4K, right? That's a right. great point. I have a dear friend whose name I won't say, um, and I've given him a hard time for this, but he just recently got an Xbox One and kind of jumped into this gen, but had an Xbox 360 and he was playing Destiny on it and Madden and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, I don't I don't think I need it yet because I'm still playing these games on this console and they still look great. I mean, look at this. This looks awesome. And he's playing Destiny. 
I'm like, yeah, they did a pretty good job with this version, but, you know, I don't know. You can see it different when you make a Switch. I then learned that he's been running ever since he bought it. He runs his Xbox 360 out via composite cables. Ouch. Plugged into his, like, 55-inch HDTV. And you're just Whammy. like, Arr. And this is a guy oh. that has been playing games, you know, much of his adult life. And, oof, and he doesn't listen to the show, clearly. Oh, hi, Ben. But um, did I say I wasn't going to say his <laughs> name? Um, <laughs> but it's just like... Yeah, I think that's a yeah. big. I think Andrew's I feel like it's the, the same thing of people flipping out over the PS4 Pro not playing 4K Blu-rays, and it's like everybody that really cares about 4K content is is renting or buying digital stuff anyway. So the people that are actually consuming the content are like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really care. But the people who don't understand it fully are like, what do you mean it doesn't have a Blu-ray player? Like, well, yeah. you gotta get with the times, guys. I uh, similar story. This is a few years ago now, but I once had a, a cable installer come to my house and set up the HD programming package that I bought to my television with composite cables. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm setting up your thing. I said, no, no, you're not. I'm, I'm not going to get any HD content. He's like, yeah, I, you, you bought the HD package. I'm setting it up. I'm like, dude, you're setting it up with cables that can't deliver that in HD. And he's like, I think I know my job, pal. These all work the same. And I was like, you've oh. got to be kidding me. How many homes are paying $40 a month extra still to exactly. this day? Exactly. Oh. How many homes? Have seen- my, my dad has a cable box that is set up for DVR, and he pays the rental fee for DVR, and he does not have DVR service. Oh, so, oh, but God. I mean, it's that was so on the cable guy. The cable guy was like, eh, it's fine. You just need this box. Yeah, you won't record whatever here. And then he didn't realize he was being charged for it. I think there's a lot, there are a surprising amount of people that understand the technology kind of on a surface level, but don't understand what oh, yeah. exactly. You, like people who saying like, oh, yeah, this is I'm watching this in 4K or, or, or whatever I'm watching it in and didn't understand that in order to truly appreciate 4K, you needed a certain size TV. Same with 1080p. Like you can't, you can have a 1080p 12 inch television. You're not going to understand what it's really giving you. Um, So I think that there are a lot of people out there that will buy the PS4 pro and go, yeah, I've got 4K gaming, but I don't have a 4K TV. Yeah. Well, well, we we shall see. We (laughs) shall see. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's your story of the week? Um, I really wanted to talk about this. I don't know. There's some dude retired from this thing. I don't think, no, I'll save that, Jeff. Um, I think the biggest story of the week, and I mean this sincerely, Chris Metzen retiring is, is very big news. But I think this is very big news, and I think it will continue to evolve and change, is that Steam has you know, entered its – God has put its hand back down into Steam and changed things again a little bit. And this time they're trying to – salvage or rein in the steam user reviews did you say god or gabe (laughs) both right i said god (laughs) but we all know who god is in this in this scenario god newell yeah (laughs) yes indeed uh uh, so what they've done is they've adjusted how they calculate the average customer review scores uh and what it does is it prioritizes the opinions of steam users or sorry steam buyers people who buy the game actually on steam and don't just activate a key through steam which you could get a key from you know um other websites uh i think green man gaming is one that you know where you'll buy a steam key oftentimes sometimes through the publisher and all those guys yep sometimes through the publisher directly you can buy a game and it'll come with a steam key sometimes if you buy a retail packaged version of a pc game and you're in live in 1995 it will give you a steam code that you'll activate 
But so now those will no longer factor the Steam key. If you redeem a Steam key for a game, they don't factor into the default overall score, but you can still see them. And it's kind of shaking up, you know, review scores on Steam. And Steam said one of the reasons they were doing it, or one of the reasons um, I hypothesize for why they're doing it, is actually publishers, you know, given uh, they're given a bunch of keys to give out or do what they want with. And, you know, a lot of those keys were being used to maybe artificially inflate a Steam user review score. And that's big business on Steam because it kind of goes into their curation, where a game is shown and where it's ranked and how it's displayed and, you know, what people think of a game. So I think this could be major for Steam going forward. Do you think it's a positive thing? I do. I, 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 I don't think it's quite right, but I like seeing them trying to... It's kind of like on Amazon when you see reviews and then the review says Amazon verified, verified purchase. purchase. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't think that's quite right either because I don't think I need to buy the thing on Amazon if I own the thing to like I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, but I buy a lot of video game stuff through Best Buy because of the Best Buy reward zone or whatever. And I think my opinion, well, spoiler alert, I don't review things online ever. Um, <laughs> I rely on other people's reviews, but I do not put into that. <laughs> I just take um so it's tough. I think I, I like it. I like that people are trying to do it. I do think it's a positive step, but I understand that if you are a publisher, how it can be frustrating because, hey, Jeanette, your opinion matter also. Um, Anthony, where are you on this, or what's the fix that you would pitch? Um, I actually kind of feel the opposite. I feel like it is – now, this is some speculation on my part. I'm acknowledging that. Um, I feel like it is a way for or Steam and Valve are trying to make Steam reviews more relevant to PC gamers because I feel like PC gamers have sort of moved past caring about Steam reviews. I think there is no better way to pitch a game nowadays than a Let's Play or a stream. I don't think there are too many people that make buying decisions based on reviews in general. Um, so I think it is just a way of saying, look, we're going to weed out these people who um, got keys for cheaper, or got keys on secondary resellers, whatnot, which is a little confusing to me because in my mind, those reviews have a better chance of being positive. You know, if if this person got a code for a game for free and they decide to write a review you have better odds of it being positive than the person who paid $60 and was like, well, I paid $60 for this thing and well, it didn't pan out. what does that say out. about most of the reviews at GameRant.com then? Oh, well, we're not, we're not, we don't put our reviews on Steam. <laughs> but you're giving the games for free. But, and we disclose that though. Like th- what I'm saying is, is for the, the Steam review, peop- nobody, nobody on that's writing a Steam review is trying to like, you know, have any journalistic integrity or anything like think? that. They're just right. I, I just feel like uh, let's take No Man's Sky as an example. Hey, if, easy, if, buddy. If person A got a code for No Man's Sky and played it and was like, well, that's okay, positive review. And then the person paid $60 for it and was like, well, that's okay, but I paid $60 for it. I think that there's, I don't know, it, it just to me, like, as somebody like Jeff who sees a lot of press reviews, I see a lot of people coming out of these movies for free of movies that I've seen that are terrible. And they're like, that movie was great because they saw it for free. Sure. No, um, I get your point. I was just wanting to have that. you explain your way around you, it. You don't, agree, you don't agree that a lot of people are swayed by the fact that no. it, there was – I think so. I mean I, 
I really don't. As somebody who who sees a heck of a lot of movies for free and plays a fair amount of games for free, the fact that I saw it for free or or, or paid for it, oh, I'm not. I'm not saying no you, bearing on how I feel. About it. No, no, no. Jeff. I'm not. I'm not saying no. you or me. I'm saying like the average person who just waited in line or won a, won a radio contest, and they're asking them the people that factor into like the cinema score for a movie. Mm-hmm. I think they're more likely to give a positive review because. They didn't put any money into it. That's just my personal opinion. I, I don't, th- I don't think so. I, I really don't. I don't think that factors in, in the psyche of most people. I think people, if you didn't like something, it doesn't matter if you didn't pay for it. You, you didn't like it. I think that that's, if it affects you, I think it's such a minor effect that, it, I don't. I really don't buy it, and and maybe I'm naive, but I really don't buy that that it's a huge swaying factor. And whether if you actually didn't like something, but you got to see it for free, you say you liked it. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy that. But maybe I'm being naive. Well, that's the problem. You didn't buy it, so therefore you you like it. I yeah. It's it's, it's my <laughs> personal opinion, and I I it, I understand that it might be a little controversial, but I do see people that say. We're going to talk about ReCore potentially, and some people that were watching me stream ReCore were saying, well, this game is kind of not great, but it's cheaper. So I, I don't know. I do, well, I do think they're, they're – But that's not the same thing, right? That's that's a value proposition based on the price. It's not based on the price, but I got a deal. Sure. I think that's I a different you. thing. When somebody says, you know, uh, this isn't worth $50, but it is worth $19, you know, that's – I think that's completely valid. I think that's saying, yeah, when, you know, this is a this is a $19 game. This is like a $20 game. I think it's a good, great value for that. But then going, well, this is a $60 game, but I didn't have to pay for it at all. So I think it's perfect. I just don't think that happens. I think people make values based on the price, but when, like, they get a specific break on the price, I don't think they factor that in. I still sure. think they, they compare it to the value that most people would pay for the price. But then my question is, why do you think that Valve is taking out these reviews? I think they, for whatever reason, they see an inflation of uh, the 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 uh, publisher or wh- whomever is, is trying to create a false, false um, – bell curve of reviews is doing so by flooding i think what they may be seeing is a review is contingent upon getting a code and that definitely would be the kind of thing where you would be um you know you would object to it to say hey we'll we'll give you this code for free uh, person a but you have to give us a good review on on steam that i would object to because that's not this person isn't just reviewing the the thing out of their own opinion. They're doing it as a payment for a thing that they got. And if that's happening, I'm, I'm, I would object to it. And maybe this, even if it's not happening, maybe Steam is like, well, let's just let's just create, as Christian referenced, the Amazon verified purchase version of this, where only people that are legitimate buyers of this thing get pushed to the top. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just. Uh, I don't know how necessary it is, but I also don't think it's a, a negative thing well, per I think se. One maybe cynical way to look at it is that's, and I I get why they would want to do this because it's their business. It's Steam is trying to incentivize people buying it from them, where they likely get the largest cut and are in the most control of the store. So if there's anything they can do to tip your hand into buying the actual game from them versus some of these repackaged or resold codes or whatever else, I think it's in their business interest to do that. Yeah. 
but it, it is an interesting move. Uh, I wonder if it'll actually help people make more informed decisions. I know that I have paid more attention to Steam reviews since I started purchasing VR games on Steam because uh, there are so many of, of those that are just kind of like small little one-off titles that some guy is making in his basement and 15 people have downloaded it so far and the 15 reviews are really interesting and really actually have impact on my buying decision. So I've, I've paid more attention to Steam reviews lately than I ever have before, but in a very specific use case. So, huh. um, As Christian mentioned, uh, I definitely feel like my story of the week is Chris Metzen retiring. If you're not familiar with Chris Metzen, he is one of the, the guys that, that steered the ship at Blizzard for a long, long time. Uh, really, since the early Warcraft days, he kind of came in during Warcraft 2 and especially Warcraft 3. He <clears throat> wrote a lot of the story and, and, and crafted a lot of the narrative of those worlds, Warcraft and Starcraft and especially World of Warcraft. He was a big, big uh, force in how that story and those the, that universe was created and how that narrative shaped over time. Uh, and he was this big personality. I've met him several times, really nice guy. He was always front and center at BlizzCon delivering – uh, these stirring speeches, and he has such a he has such a genuine, palpable love of genre fiction and storytelling. And he would get on stage, and he he's voiced some of the characters for Blizzard, and he has this great voice. And he would always say, "For the horde," you know, and it, just a an incredible guy. And uh, you know, the idea he's retiring at like what forty two, I think he is forty five. Um, young man, three kids now. He wants to spend more time with his family. Uh, it's a big loss for the company because he is such a big part of, of what made their products their products. Uh, you only, can only wish the best for him, and I think he's probably retiring for all the right reasons. But still, I think for those of us like myself, I'm a major fan of Blizzard games, especially of their fiction, and a, and a fan of this guy and, and what he brought to the table. Uh, it is a loss for the industry, but um, you know, all for the right reasons. Uh, do you guys have any reaction to this, Anthony? You want to speak to Chris Metzen at all? Um, I'm. I have not. I'm not a big uh, Blizzard guy overall, to be honest. Um, I I feel for you, Jeff. You've lost. It. it you know. I. I Anthony. I understand when when big figures leave. Like it's a it's a huge blow. But yeah, I, it it doesn't affect me personally. But I can I can understand. Just and it doesn't it doesn't feel like one of those guys that's like I'm retiring and then two years later you'd be like and my new game is on Kickstarter. You know I don't <laughs> I don't it doesn't feel that way. It, it I'm really sure he's feels made like a ton of money and so he's probably yes. set for life. Right, but also you know I don't I'm not cynical enough to think that he was only ever in it for the money. This is a guy sure. that loved what he did, and but it also feels like he's. He's really made a lifestyle choice, and uh, I don't see him, you know, returning to active game development anytime soon. So, um, you know, I, I do think this is a big deal. Christian, what were you saying? Oh, I was just going to make a dumb joke. I was going to say to Anthony, imagine if Destiny had writers, and then one of those writers retired. It'd be like oh, that. <laughs> no, no. So imagine if Destiny had a story, right. and then that story had writers. Right. <laughs> I mean, their lead writer did leave. Right. And uh-huh. he just came back. <laughs> Tons um, of a bunch I, of people have left it since destiny's been out and i mean personally it has actually made the game better but obviously yeah destiny but, launched in a different state like blizzard is at the top of 
you know, so many things that losing somebody, it was like when the, the two uh, doctors left Bioware. Oh yeah. Like, right. Oh my God. No. Yeah. This is, this is that, that level of, of control. I mean, this is a guy who's shepherded titles for 20 years at the company is really one of the pillars uh, of that, of that company. And, um, young man with a lot, you know, a lot more stuff that he could create. So, uh, yeah, I think that the, I think Blizzard will endure and certainly his, his really very heartfelt letter, public letter that he put out on the site, uh, talked about how he thought the company was in great hands, but, um, you know, it's, it's a big deal, uh, especially on the heels of, of world of Warcraft's, uh, most successful expansion in a long time. And, uh, you know, these universes that he really forged are are not waning you know they are they are they still have legs so those legs are going to be uh on other people's bodies at this point that was a terrible metaphor that's good it was like i liked I, it i stuck with we it we got an episode title <laughs> legs on other people's bodies um funny we've gone through three stories of the week and none of us referenced tokyo game show which is going on uh tokyo game show used to be one of the biggest uh, events of the gaming year. I mean, this was one of the one of the tent poles uh, alongside E3. It used to be E3 and Tokyo Game Show, or like the places where the big stuff happened. I mean, I guess used to means like 15 years ago. Uh, in, in recent years, Tokyo Game Show is much less important than even Gamescom, and doesn't seem to see too many big big announcements. Uh, but I couldn't let this episode go by without talking a little bit about TGS. I mean, we got new, uh, we got new trailers for Final Fantasy. We got new trailer <laughs> for uh, Kingdom Hearts 2.8, which of course got to get excited for any game that releases a 2.8, right? Uh, that's just a, a thrilling number in and of itself. Uh, and uh, Resident Evil Seven got a new trailer, uh, but the big headline. I think that we should all just talk about a little bit is uh, Hideo Kojima had some words about some things. He's talking. He is unleashed. Kojima unleashed everybody. If he was ever leashed <laughs> by Konami, uh, he has unleashed now on his own. He can talk whenever he wants. And uh, he talked a little bit about his upcoming game, Death Stranding, which already has won awards in my book for the worst title of a video game ever made. Uh, it's that's an awful title, objectively awful title. I love Kojima, but that is an awful title, Death Stranding. Um, but he's talking a little bit more about that game, saying uh, it is going to give players a new way to connect to each other. Uh, he's also saying that it will support the PS4 Pro, 4K, and HDR. <clears throat> he talked a little smack about the new version of Metal Gear Solid that includes zombies. Doesn't see any need for it. So my question to you guys is, uh, Anthony, how many years are we going to hear Kojima talk about Death Stranding in a row? Uh, um, I think, well, didn't he give a, he said it will be out before 2018, 2019? Mm-hmm. So I would say... And I have a bridge to sell you. We have it's, at it's least... Called, it's called Bridge Stranding. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, it seems like uh, prior to this whole fallout with Konami, he was very sort of structured in when he talked about the games. There was lots of silence, and then here's this rollout of information. But since he split with Konami, he is like 
I mean, as somebody who covers the news on a daily basis, it there is something to write about Kojima at least once a week. So I feel <laughs> like this guy is going to be selling you on this game that is probably just a bunch of random polygons with weird lines everywhere. You know, saying like, oh, okay, well, here's what we're working on. Okay, well, maybe that is not what we are working on just yet. Okay, well, here's the thing, but... I mean, the game, it feels to me like the game is still taking shape in his mind, the way he talks about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we based on that trailer, you have no, we have no idea what that game yes. even looks like. It's, it was a, it was but a it's moment a, it's a, with a baby. I don't know what part of co-op game that plays unlike any other co-op game before you that you don't get. I don't understand what part of most co-op games feature sticks. Ours will feature tethers. That you don't get. Uh, I, I, I've heard him so many times try and sell me on these experiences, and then I play the game, and it's a guy with a headband shooting people with sleep. <laughs> you know, I hate to be cynical about it, and I'm being very snarky, uh, but I, I really think that he just needs to go and work on it. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it does him any favors, and I don't, I'm not going to get suckered into getting excited about this game. Years and years out. I, I love that he's making something. I think it's great that he announced he's making something so that we didn't think that uh, him leaving Konami was the end of, of anything. That's like, yeah, he's on his own. He has a logo. He's, he's got a company. He's going to make a game. That's all we need to hear. You can just go and make it and work on it real hard. We don't need to know every step of the way. Christian, am I wrong? Oh, no, I, I 100% agree with you. My good friend Stuart Nocht, also known as Wombat from Cheap Best Gamer, we have a podcast called Uninformed Opinions that comes out occasionally. His thought that he always says is that nothing exists until I can buy it in the store. And I'm not sure how well he holds by his own rule, but I think it's a great... So, he, a, so love doesn't exist? <laughs> Stuart Nocht? You can buy that in the store. Um, <laughs> it, is a, it is a great rule. Also, I just wanted to say, Jeff, that you really missed the name of your bridge. It should have been called Death Unstranded. Ah, see, because a bridge connects mm-hmm. things. Yeah, thing. I get you. Yeah, yeah. I like bridge stranding. Bridge stranding people's heads on someone else's bodies? Is that what we're going for? (laughs) It's late, you guys. (laughs) Here's my my question to both of you, though. Is there any concern about... We've had a lot of auteurs lately step free of, like, their corporate backing. And not, not many of them. I don't know if I can think of too many examples of people being successful. We've had, like... Inafune's had in my opinion, two kind of failures. Peter Molyneux stepped away and did his own thing and basically set money on fire. And yeah, yeah I I don't know. I, I love Kojima. I love what he makes. I love all these games, but I love his Metal Gear games. Oh, I don't know. Well, that's all he's made so far. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I'm going to... I don't know. It, it's it's really a weird thing. I, I think, oh, man, it's so exciting that he gets to make his own game by his own rules. But then I go, here's this guy that what if he's untethered? He's just going to just make the weirdest thing and everyone's just going to not understand it. And it's going to be. I'm not so worried about the him making a weird thing. My vision of the future. And again, I don't want to be cynical about it. But my vision of the future is 2018. We start getting stories about chaos at the studio the game's not coming out it's being delayed there's more you know this it's not going to happen for another we get another year after that game's going to get delayed it's you know it needs more time it, i think 
it's one of those things where you give a creator infinite resources and infinite time and they will use it infinitely. Um, and that's my worry is that Konami I probably was very frustrated because they were like, hey, dude, we need to put something out. So finish it. And that's probably what caused a lot of that strife. That's just, just me guessing. But I suspect that's what the case was. And if you remove that, I, you feel like you get into a position where he's just going to keep working on fiddling on this thing and, and tinkering and adding stuff. And, and maybe the thing will be brilliant when it's finally released, but it's just going to be this excruciatingly long process. And if we constantly hear about it along the way, I think people are going to get fatigued. I think, Anthony, you asked if there were, you know, if there were concerns about this. And I think it's safe to say that, you know, patreon.com slash we have concerns. You know, like I feel like that. Uh, uh? Uh, was a long. I was just. I was. Trying oh, we to, have concerns. Yeah, there it goes. I was just trying to. It. I had a joke and I wanted to say it, and so I forced my own callback to say it. You can find that joke and many others no, on the new album it. launching. It's, <laughs> sure. I mean, I I hear you. There there are there are tons of successful. I mean, I don't want you to go on a game rant, Anthony. But like, how oh. do you feel about it? <laughs> I don't know. It just. I don't know. I just feel like when developers step outside of the corporate. Like when they just have this freedom to make whatever they want, then they start facing. I don't know. I just. It's gonna be a Metal Gear Solid game, dude. It's gonna be a Metal Gear Solid game with new characters. I, I guarantee you, it's not gonna if, be. If it is, if it is that, I'm totally sold. I just, I feel like that is not what he's trying to make. It's gonna. I, I think it is, and and it'll be brilliant. I think it'll be brilliant if and when it comes out. I mean, I certainly yeah, think it'll be christianspicer.com. <laughs> Christian's just now just know. plugging things. We've know. we've reduced Christian to a pile of goo that just <laughs> all he knows is to just say things that are plugs. Uh, one thing you could plug, Christian, is squarespace.com because they are our sponsor. And they host and departmentofparenting.com, my parenting podcast with Chris Quintos. Boom, successful plug. Thank you. <laughs> Why did you choose squarespace.com to host that very successful podcast website? Because they are reliable. I could see what uh, what I saw is what I got. I didn't have to enter a credit card until I decided to take the site live and I got to play with it and design it. And I know that jeffcanada.com had been hosted on Squarespace for at least 47 years years that's true that's true 40 before the internet there was jeffcanada.com uh, hosted by squarespace.com <clears throat> and uh like christian i chose to use squarespace way back when because i knew that it was a very reliable platform but also because i could make something beautiful and interesting and unique and i could do it easily sites look professional it looks like you had a professional designer do it but it's just you fiddling around. And like Christian said, it's easy to fiddle around because all the tools are easy and, and, and intuitive. You just drag and drop stuff. And uh, you don't have to decide to purchase anything at all until you get a website you like. So you can fiddle like Kojima. You can fiddle to your heart's <laughs> content. And then if you never want to put it out, you never have to pay them a penny, which is great because they're never going to charge your credit card until you're done and you like it. But when you do get to that point, if you want to ha- actually – buy your website and put it out on the web and release your work to the world, which really there's everybody has a reason to have a website, whether it's a portfolio or an online store. Squarespace is the way to do it. And when you get to that point, we're going to give you 10% off your first order at Squarespace. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com slash DLC when you first sign up, when you first start designing, and then use that promo code Jeff sent me when you check out. That's J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E which is all one word. 
you'll get 10% off, which is pretty cool. You show your support for DLC. You'll have Squarespace continuing to support us, which is really cool. And uh, they are really easy to recommend. Like I said, use them. Uh, everybody I know uses Squarespace because it's the best. It's the best. So if you have any reason to make a website, squarespace.com slash DLC. Use that promo code Jeff sent me when you check out and get yourself 10% off. All right, it's time to talk about the playlist. Anthony, I see that you've been playing ReCore. Uh, I did not jump on that game. I played it at E3 and was a little underwhelmed. Um, what has been your, been your experience with the full game? I, too, played it at E3, and I, I felt the exact same. I, it was The demo that they offered was insanely difficult. Um, uh, the mechanics were, were interesting. But, yeah, having, having played the final game and getting to see really what they're trying to deliver, it... I don't know. It. I, I'm of two minds of the game because I have read some reviews. I edited the review that uh, Brad Jones, one of our writers, wrote for GameRant.com. You can read that review. Um, so I, you know, I know what people have been saying about the game, and people say it drops off like a harsh cliff uh, towards when you get towards the end game, which is like nine or ten hours in. But I'm only about like three or four hours in. So right now, I really enjoy it. It's kind of like a it's like a PS2 platformer combined with a little bit of a Zelda game. I don't know. It's it's like I I have a hard time being being positive about the game, knowing that so many people get negative about it later on, and I feel like I will too because I have that sense in the back of my mind that um, it's going to get uh, really repetitive. There's there's basically a mechanic where um, you collect these cores. It's 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 an overworld type game, not open world. So you're you're moving sort of like thinking Ocarina of Time where there are clear paths of like, okay, you're going here, you're going there, and there are dungeons. So you go into a dungeon, it tells you things that are inside the dungeon, but there are these cores you collect. And what I've heard is later on in the game, the, the, the requirements of having an, a certain amount of cores just gets insane to the point you have to backtrack and randomly find cores in places that you wouldn't even think to look. It just seems like really tedious towards the end, but right now it is there's a cool color mechanic. It's a it's kind of like a third person lock on uh shooter, but you really aren't like controlling your um your gun that much. It really just locks on and you can switch between colors. So you have white, red, blue and yellow and the enemies are different colors so using the same color does more damage and you have these little core bots that work with you and help with the platforming has a lot of fun like old school ps2 platformer vibe to it kind of reminds me of like jack and daxter a little bit in terms of like how you're moving around you have a dash an air dash that you kind of combine with um, the platforming where you get a double jump and then a dash, so you have a certain amount of space you have to cover, and you kind of have to like figure out, okay, well, I need to jump now, and then I need to jump again, and now I can dash and I'll make it. And so a lot of that stuff is really interesting. It's fun. It feels different than a lot of the games that are available right now, but um, I don't know. It just does. It doesn't necessarily have a lot of life, and I'm. I'm wary about saying, okay, this game is awesome because I know that so many people dislike it. Towards That's the such back. a bummer to me. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're being so influenced by... I, and I know. I, I feel like... You're, just... you're having a great time with it. 
I yeah, but like if I, it, there are a lot of opinions out there of people that I do respect and people that I tend to align with, and they they all say it drops off a cliff. They are all saying exactly what I'm saying. They just got to the point. Right. I haven't got to that point, but they were like, oh, I was loving it. It was great. Five hours in, I was like, this is a fun PS2 era platformer. It has a little bit of Zelda vibe going on. And then, oh, it's done. Oh. But five hours is is Destiny expansion level fun. <laughs> it's true. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I think that there, there isn't a lot of story. Um, the main character, her name is Jewel. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't have like that. She doesn't feel like a Jack or a, um, a Mega Man, I guess, to bring up the Inafune connection. She doesn't really have much personality. The core bots that follow you around don't have much personality. The, the story kind of reminds me of Titan AE a little bit. It's like this, this concept of, (laughs) right. This concept of, uh, earth, whatever for whatever reason we can't we can't live on earth anymore there's this new planet called far eden we sent um these terraforming structures to far eden and some people who were on like in cryo sleep and they woke up 200 years later and found that far eden wasn't fully terraformed and something happened so there's like some mystery going on but the story is just not not grabbing me it's just kind of like a fun little platformer it's the type of game that i'm I'm enjoying like putting on music in the background or putting on like a TV show and just kind of mindlessly running around. But if somebody was really wanting to get into it, I think they would be disappointed. Interesting. Um, I'm I'm actually very happy to hear some positivity about that game, and I, I understand you're saying that you know yeah. you maybe you just haven't played there it are, enough to not like really it. About it, <laughs> it has. If you are like a diehard Zelda fan and you've been looking for um, a game, because it straight up is you walk to a door. You need to put in these cores to open the door, and then you're in a dungeon. You're fighting mm. bosses. You're opening chests. You're getting a new ability that will hopefully help you finish the dungeon. And then when you move on, that ability becomes essential to more of the dungeons, and you kind of are just building up your arsenal of things you can do. Um, so it has that. All vibe. that sounds awesome. It, it's. I think. I don't know. I, let me just. Let's just say this. I think it is worth playing. But if you end up not liking it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you? Well, let's just say that about everything that we talk about. Sure, yeah. If you end up not liking it, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't. Are you, you going to keep it. playing it? Are you going to keep playing I, it? I, I'm. I'm going to keep playing it. Yes. In between Destiny, I'm. I'm going to play it to the end. I'm a. I'm a completionist at heart. Um, I'm yeah. really afraid of this backtracking, though. But yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to see it all through. Um, it, it's also a discount title, so. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the Alpha of For Honor. This is a game that I can't tell if I'm excited about yet or not. Uh, it looks interesting, but kind of doesn't also? What is your experience with For Honor? It has, I think, an extremely unique mechanic of it's almost this like rock, paper, scissors, reflex-based combat where you are, um, you can pick between a samurai, a viking, or a knight, and in the in the alpha, you had two classes to choose before, choose from, uh, like a basic knight, viking, samurai, or what they're calling, I forget what they're calling them, but they're like a little more um, aggressive or they have, have a little more um, defense or attack. Um, 
Because the basic ones are just like, okay, you block and you attack kind of like in a basic manner. And then the other ones have maybe a little more defense, but they're a little slower when they attack. But the um, the mechanic is basically uh, you can block or attack top, left, or right. So I'm facing you, Jeff, for example, and we are we are in our stances looking at each other, and I see you move your sword to the left, and it straight up tells you it has like a little reticle and says you're you're gonna your sword is in the left, and if you attack me, I have to put my sword to the left to block you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of becomes like this this reflex game combined with a little bit of luck, and that's really fun until it completely falls apart. Until you run up to somebody and you just hit them first and then you're spamming like right, left, top, and there's just nothing they can do and then they're dead. Or um, now is that an NPC that you're fighting or is No, that no, a- you're fighting real people. Okay. There are there are there's a four V forward mode in the um in the alpha and I and in the finished game that is kind of like a control the points. There's A, B, C, and there are little mobs around, usually at the B point only, and you can kill them to get points and you're kind of like doing this tug of war of um if you capture the point and then kill a bunch of mobs you you gain a, a bunch more points than the other team and then you finish the match by hitting a threshold and then all you need to do is kill the four uh opposing players real life players um but there is also a 2v2 and a 1v1 mode so in the 4v4 it is fun to like be in the middle of this battle and be engaging with a guy and you're kind of like dueling and you feel like you're in Ridley Scott's kingdom of heaven or something. And then some other guy from the team just runs up behind you and just hits you in the back six times and you die. And there's really nothing Mm -hmm. you can do. Um, Mm -hmm. It has a lot of those like little things of like, well, that bothers me and that bothers me and that bothers me. But the concept itself is so unique and it is unlike so many games out there that I, I think it is going to be a, a game that if they get it perfectly in the balancing, which they still can, it was only an alpha. I think that, that, that it could be awesome when you're just fighting one-on-one. It really has a fun uh, feel to it, but yeah, does it feel like, like a skill based, like something you can get better at, or you just yes. sort of, yeah. You you learn to you because you learn to read how the classes or the the Viking samurai, like how much lunge they have, and you you can also dodge and you can guard break. There are some other things going on, so you can learn how to kind of read people. But there is a ton of of luck playing mm-hmm. into it. Of you know, just okay. I chose right. He wasn't ready. I hit him, and then I just kind of cycled between the three directions, and there was nothing he could do to stop me, and I won. Right. Um, so it's not but, exactly Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. No, definitely not. It's not. Um, it's it's a lot. It's going for, I think, a totally different vibe. It's very, very interesting. Hmm. Whether or not it is going to be successful, um, it's hard to say. Uh, like somebody in the chat said, it's it's extremely satisfying when it clicks, but when it falls apart, it is one. It's kind of it reminds me of Evolve, where mm. you play Evolve and if the whole team is working together and you take down the monsters, like oh that's perfect, and then you go to play it in another setting and the guy that's your healer just goes to attack the monster, he dies and you all die, and you're like well that's terrible. And so the example for this I would say is, you go in in the four v four and. 
I found this out really quickly. I just found I just played with three other friends and we would just run up on one person by themselves and just steamroll them. Hmm. And there's nothing you can do to really combat it. I'm guessing the designers uh, would not like a comparison to Evolve, but that's just a that's just a guess. That's well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's another it's another game that I, I don't know that comes to mind when I think when it works right, it yeah. really works. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I'm still not sure if I'm excited about this game or yeah, not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you and I have both put some time in this week on Bioshock Collection, the uh, remastering of, of the three Bioshock games that's now out for current-gen consoles. What's your Which console are you playing it on? I'm playing it on PS4. Now, we, I should mention that we've heard a lot of reports that the PC version of Bioshock Collection is fraught with errors and glitches and problems. Uh, neither of us played it on PC. I'm playing it on Xbox One, and you're playing on PS4. What's been your experience with it? So far, I, I think it is a great way to experience these games. I think if you have never played Bioshock 1, 2, or Infinite, I would recommend playing all three. Um, also, if you just wanted to play the games and you didn't, you're you're that type of person that is like, I just want it to not look as ugly. Um, it, it does have some of those things where you realize you're playing a, I think it's like an eight-year-old game or something mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have some of those things of where it's like the ADSing, for example. The first time I ADS, I was like, oh, yeah, this is how this game works in the first <laughs> Bioshock. I was like, oh, this is kind of clunky yeah. compared to like playing Infinite, which has a lot faster pace and has a lot more modern shooter mechanics going on. It just, I don't know, it 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 reminds you, but I love I love Bioshock. It's one of, probably one of my top five games of all time. I recommend everybody play this game. If you love the game play it again that there are, are so many things that this game does better than i think so many games out there in terms of atmosphere design storytelling yeah. all those things yeah it's play them yeah i agree it's in, it's definitely my top five games of all time the first bioshock what and yeah first bioshock in my top five games of all time for sure Wow, I need to go back and listen to our March Madness episode. I had no idea you liked the top five of all time. Like, Anthony and I have I talked about so. this ad nauseum, so I, I was well aware of it for him. I yeah, think this I is my favorite first-person shooter ever. Yeah, huh. I think it is. Interesting. Um, I will log that for later. Oh, no, I don't know. I think Half-Life 2 is probably a little bit higher than Bioshock. But So now you have two maybe... first-person shooters on your all-time favorites, just by the way. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think Half Life Two and Bioshock. Yeah, I think oh those would be man. The two. Okay, and then you have uh, Heroes maybe of the Storm Portal. And then, wow, Portal's that's in there. Four games. Ah, oh, man. Damn it, Portal. Um, <laughs> it's anyway, hard. Don't don't give it. Don't say top five. To say one of your all time favorites. I'll make. I'll give you. A, it really a is Escape Door. It really is. It's um and and it it does that thing, Christian, that you talk about a lot, where uh, you put in the remaster version and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to see how good this game looks now with the remastering and you put lot you put it on you st- you're like oh yeah this is exactly how i remember it looking this is yeah yeah this is how i remember it oh i totally remember that part oh yeah that looks just as good as i remember it it's like i don't see what's so special about this remaster <laughs> it's because your memory is messing with you and uh it didn't look that good <laughs> but at the time it looked great because it was the best game at the time it just we've come a long way but your brain went oh yeah this is all it's all it's all tracks <laughs> how i remember it um but yeah, I mean that that intro sequence in the first Bioshock, I played through that again on Xbox One, and I was like, 
oh, right. That's why this game is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was right back in it, and I had to, like, force myself to turn it off because it just, like, sucks you into that world so brilliantly. And, I mean, it, you realize how much of a horror experience it is. I, I, I kind of forget that over time of how much of a horror game it really was. Um, and I think even knowing the drop, what I think is a testament to Bioshock 1 versus Infinite is I think even after you know the, the, the drop or the switch review or the reveal or whatever, you know, the plot, the story, I think it is almost even, I don't want to say more enjoyable the second time through, but for me, oh, it's, yeah, it's I cool. noticed it's, it's things. Pop, popping it back in and at the, the very first thing you hear is like, uh, you know, would you kindly pick up the the radio? And you're like, oh, right at the, fa- the very yeah. first line. It's you know, so it's like, smart. It's so yeah. smart. So. I also think that Infinite is very underrated, and that's just my opinion. I liked Infinite a lot too. I, I think it what? it has problems. It has pro- Infinite's great. It I has have problems. that episode of, yeah. of Weekend Confirmed. You you floundered. It has on problems. Okay. It has p- big problems. Yeah. but it is a lot to like about it too. Yeah, it has the, big the, big problems. The first but, uh, level you, know, you said is like your favorite game of all time, and then the game went to crap. I think were your words. No, I said I said <laughs> famously, and I got crap off for it. But I said that the first. Uh, hour of Bioshock Infinite was my game of the year. But the rest of the game, <laughs> the rest of the game was not so good. And that's I stand by that. I yeah. think the first hour is brilliant. So good. Um, I but, would, I recommend playing if you play all the Bioshock. I, I would recommend playing them in order because the DLC in uh, Infinite Burial at Sea cha- will ch- completely change your perspective on the first game. Huh. I think it it. If you are willing to give it a try, if you you know if you're one of those people that maybe kind of poo pooed on Infinite, just try the DLC if you can. Um, it it has a lot of those like uh, Back to the Futurey type things of like, mm-hmm. well, here's how you know this to be, but actually here's what might have been going on behind the scenes. It's very it's it's a great DLC, I think. I will also admit that the first Bioshock has a terrible final boss battle terrible and i know that it's not that's not a revelation to anybody but it's it's still in my favorite games ever but it's it's a, it's a problem bad, bad ending i don't know what the fix is and i know we have some very smart developers and designers that listen to this podcast and i and i'm not saying that you can't figure this out or that i'm smarter than you i don't know what the answer is but i i'm curious if you guys want to email us anonymously or you know we can do a bonus episode recording with you if you want to talk on mic or whatever but i feel like a lot of games suffer from this and i don't whether it's the boss battle whether it's combat you know not a boss per se but like uh, rise of the tomb raider or uncharted 4 bioshock um the list is long those are just the ones of recent memory where i don't understand it but it must be harder to do something else because people keep falling into this trap it seems like yeah well so many things in the first bioshock are so brilliant like fighting the big daddies you know and how you get to choose when and where and how you fight the big daddies and there's a big big gain for doing it but you can sort of prepare yourself you you set the pace and then all that's thrown out the window at the end when you fight a big glowing naked dude who's (laughs) electrified you know spoilers but to me it to me feels like a you know all these games have been have had that marketing influence when they were working on the design doc of okay, well, what's the big boss battle at the end? You know, mm-hmm. to to like uh, people like to hate on Call of Duty, but they just kind of said we're just gonna let you throw a knife at a guy's head and it's gonna be pretty <laughs> awesome. So I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think I think the the big boss battle if your game is not structured structured around boss battles, 
Like, if your game is God of War, okay, yeah, I want to fight Zeus or something like that. But if your game is not structured around boss battles, which Bioshock really isn't, then there's no need for one. Just have a, have a you know, a really moving ending or a really engaging ending or whatever you want. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a lot of large sense, since that game came out, we've seen developers move away from that more and more. Like, I think that was much more expected at that time than even even just a few years later. Um, so I don't think we see that quite as frequently anymore where it just feels like it needs to have this big boss at the yeah. end. Yeah. I mean, Halo, Halo's, are, Halo's final sequences are always driving the war dog, and those yeah. are always awesome. Uh, Christian, tell me about the Forza Horizon 3 demo. I know we were all very excited about the trailer when that dropped. Does it live up? So this is, this is my um, Bioshock Infinite moment, where the Forza Horizon 3 demo might be my game of the year. Um, it, <laughs> they have done meaty demos in the past. This is a meaty demo. I... I'm hesitant to say this because I want the game to sell well because I really, really like the Forza Horizon games, and I think the team there has been doing awesome stuff. But I, I think the demo for a lot of people might be plenty, or the person who just you know isn't super into racers or open-world racers or festival, whatever genre this is. I mean, it is a big demo. You can have a lot of fun with it, and the game is stunning i'm playing on original xbox one no hdr nothing fancy just whatever um i plan on buying it digitally when it comes out unless of course you know something happens between now and the final release when people say hey the game's broken because i want to play it on pc to get do the play anywhere concept and get you know really bump the graphics because forza 6 apex i think was there PC kind of uh, freemium game that came out on PC was gorgeous and I think Forza Horizon 3 is going to be at least that if not more so what they are doing on this console is insane it opens up with you know like a story mode in this demo and how you're the festival director and you're gonna they drop you in and you start having fun immediately with like over the top they're winking at you like yeah we know this is dumb and it's like all right you're the festival director we have we set up a cool race for you why don't you go ahead and hop in in this awesome off-road car and you're gonna race this jeep and it's from the e3 and you saw it in the trailer it's like which i want to chase a jet i want to chase a helicopter Mm -hmm. let me chase it Mm -hmm. am i chasing it Mm -hmm. which is attached to a helicopter because of course yeah And, and they're like we know this is dumb uh but it's really cool and it shows um the varied terrain that you're going over and how it feels different and their fictional Australia world. You know, you go from splashing through a swamp to the desert to the beach all in one course, and that feels different in an off-road vehicle or a Ferrari or whatever, or as I play as much as possible, the Ford Mustang Shelby GT350. It is awesome. I don't want to gush about it too, too much because I'm sure when the game comes out, the full game, I will be gushing more. But if you haven't checked out the demo and you're on the fence for Forza Horizon 3, um, check it out. Download the demo. It is a big demo. And I think it's a smart demo in the sense that I think it happened three times in my time with it where, like, you finish a cool race or you do a cool event. And it's like, that was pretty dope. Why don't you just go ahead and pre-order the game? And like, <laughs> it's like kind of annoying, but it's, it's a demo. That's what it's there for. It's super Gosh, smart. Did, didn't we all just have a great time? Oh, man, that was so fun. Can I have money? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, don't you want more of that? It's it's Friday, or, you know, whenever, like, just, just do it. And you're kind of like, oh, electric awesome. money's not real money. Um, <laughs> and I know that. kids to do drugs. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> every so, every racing game I tell you to get into, Jeff. But uh, don't, don't I know. buy this one. Come over, and we'll have fun. 
my question to you, I mean, I'm going to get the demo just to try it because the demo will be probably exactly the amount of it that I want to play. So that there's a drone um, photography mode in it. And what some of the people are doing, it is stunning. Like they're making movies. It's incredible. Here's the here's the thing that trips me up, though, is I see the, the trailer for Forza Horizon 3 and I go, oh, wow, it's going to be like Burnout. The games, the, the racing games I like, it's like Burnout. It's not like Burnout, right? Um, one, a little pop. I'm just acknowledging it. So listeners, if they hear it, there's a little static coming from Jeff's mic, re- reminding you that he is, has worked a 12 hour day and is sitting in a hotel room recording with a borrowed mic. So we're going to power through and we're going to have some fun. We'll reset when we get to maybe the next segment. Um, answering your question, it, it is, but not as you remember it. Um, burnout, what people remember are the crash modes and the spectacular crashes. It does not have that, and you're not intentionally running into people. It rewards good racing and good driving. But in terms of Burnout Paradise, where you have this awesome map with varied terrain, and there are cool jumps and cool things to discover in this world along with races, yes, it is that. But I don't think it will scratch the Burnout itch for you, because what I think puts you over the edge is that Burnout made driving badly cool in the sense that well, if you fun correct yeah fun that if you messed up spectacularly you probably take 10 other guys with you and maybe smash a billboard and still get a, a an achievement for it so um right. it's not that but it is it is excellent am i still crackling that sounds okay are you sure yeah i don't hear crackling now it just came in for a little bit it might pop in again i just wanted to acknowledge it and uh, yeah. remind people that uh this is the little podcast that can and will. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, wanted to talk a little bit about stuff that I've been playing. Uh, I got a chance to to start playing a Divinity Original Sin 2. Divinity Original Sin, I think, was my game of the year that came out. I'm pretty sure it was. I absolutely adored it. It was a throwback to the games that I loved growing up, like Ultima 7, which is my game of all time, my number one game of all time. Um and you've now listed it, four of your five. No, games. Ultima Seven has always is and has always been and always will be my favorite game ever. And then Tetris um, rounds out your five. Great. No, Tetris is objectively the best game ever. That's <laughs> different. That's different. Uh, <laughs> um, Divinity Original Sin Two ups the ante. It, this is a you know, top-down role-playing game, turn-based combat, which I love. Uh, this ups the ante with adding a much more interesting narrative element. Um, you get these origin story characters where everything and every person you interact with like has specific interactions based on whether you pick those that origin story so kind of like the original um um dragon's age where you had these like specific origin stories that you could select and then that influenced all of the interactions that you have with the npcs throughout the game uh, and i'm playing this red prince guy who's sort of the the poster child cuz you can you can play as a lizard you can play as a lizard in a game i'm probably going to play as a lizard i did so in uh you know the elder scrolls games i like playing as lizards uh so he's this like red prince dude lizard man uh but you still are collecting a party of adventures that have skills that can interact with each other and you can set fire to something and then electrify the fire or whatever you know it's all this it's got really cool interactions i'm very early on in uh, the release right now, which is in early access, and they're doing it the same way they did original Divinity, where early access is like the first act of the game, which is already like 10 to 12 hours of content. But um, they're asking people to buy in early, and then more of the game will come. It's really polished. It's beautiful. I think the engine looks even better now than it did in the first Divinity Original Sin. Uh, And it has 
it scratches all those same wonderful Ultima type itches. So I'm going to be playing lots more of this game, and I'm sure I'll talk about it more. But um, already, very very positive uh, first impression for Divinity Original Sin Two. Does it have um, controller support? Because they did an excellent console port for the first one. I'm wondering if they learned any of the or carried any of those lessons forward into the sequel for PC. That's a great question. You know, I didn't even check. I've been playing it on uh, with a mouse, obviously, and um, I didn't even check. That's a great question. I don't know. Uh, but yes, the console version of the original original Sin is fantastic. Um, I, I'll have to check that out. Do not know. Uh, also wanted to talk a little bit about Heroes of the Storm because there was a massive update this last week. Uh, they added a whole bunch of new things. There's this new event that's happening all built around StarCraft-themed content. Uh, two new maps are coming, the first of which is called Braxis Holdout and is a StarCraft-themed map that that entered into the game with this new patch. There's a new uh, character. Alarak is in the game. And uh, a bunch of new systems, a lot of new tweaks to characters, revamps of, of other characters, and the new MVP system that we talked about a little bit last week has been in the game, and now I've had a chance to try it. It, it borrows heavily from Overwatch in the sense that after a match... Uh, the game will select an MVP based on contributions that it deems to be impactful on the game and uh, highlights that player and that character uh, prominently to everybody that played. And then everybody else will have a chance to vote on other people's uh, achievements in the game. And it selects five players uh, from across the across the game, uh, four additional ones, I should say, and lets people vote up achievements based on it doesn't have to be just from the winning team it can be from either team uh and i like that i i think it's a, adds a positive twist to the end of matches it really gives you a moment to sort of settle in and and give kudos to people the way it selects you know the the people that are that are um up for those upvotes uh is i think going to need some tweaking because right now, you know, some people like it. You soaked the most damage. Good job. It's like, well, yeah, that's because that person died twelve times. <laughs> that's, soaking damage is also called dying. I get so your, many awards in that game. <laughs> yeah, getting your butt handed to you uh, is not a good thing. So I think there will be some tweaking that happens um, when you know, like clearly the guy that made your team lose is like, hey, upvote this dude, and people are like, no, that I might will not be the thing be. that finally gets you to quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but overall, I think it's a real positive addition to the game. And Braxis Holdout, man, talk about an awesome map, especially if you're a fan of StarCraft, because basically what's happening in the match is, you know, you're fighting over these control points, and they become active at a certain point. The control points come up. There's two of them. And you, if you control both control points at the same time, you start filling this meter. And at a certain point, it counts down, and, and those control points deactivate, and then a Zerg rush is unleashed from both sides against the opposite team. And the strength of that Zerg rush is based on how much your meter was filled. So if your meter was filled, you know, 70% and the other team's meter was filled 20%, then your, your uh, Zerg army is much more powerful and has bigger units in it. And it's going to be much more difficult for them to stop. And it looks awesome. Like it's a big Zerg rush from Starcraft. It's like tons of units all thrashing against the enemy's encampments and towers and, and keeps and stuff. And, and so it, it feels really authentic to the Starcraft experience. I mean, here's the storm is built on the Starcraft two engine. So it all looks, 
exactly like it looks in StarCraft. They're like, we uh, need a new map. Control C. <laughs> yeah, right. Control V. v. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, actually, that's not the case at all. They they Braxis hold out like the theme of it is the Zerg has sort of been outfitted with armor, so they look unlike anything in actual StarCraft. So they it, it's all original art, but the top down view and the scale of everything, it's like, oh yeah, this is cool, man. This is StarCraft. This looks rad. Uh, and it, it, it's really fun to see that, that big Zerg horde unleashed against your, your enemy. So I've been having a great time with it. I did my, um, my new placement matches cause season two has just started for, for heroes, uh, for, uh, heroes leak. So, you know, I'm still playing as much as I can with a, with a newborn. Um, but, uh, and that and Legion are taking a lot of time away from heroes, but it's, it's a great time to jump in right now. Tons of awesome, awesome characters to learn and, Man, it's what a vibrant game, and the the amount of updates that they do constantly is just ugh, keeps, keeps me hooked. Keeps um, me hooked. Have you continued to spend money on it? Oh uh, yeah, I was just curious. I was, I was, I was <laughs> it's like free updates, and I was I know for a while there you were you know you said more than you cared to admit, and I was just curious if you were still spending money or if you got to a point if it's you know some of these freemium games. I feel like you get to a point where you're like, you know, I've spent my money, I have what I want, and now I'm okay. Yeah, I, I think I spend a lot less on skins than I used to uh, because it's like, well, I have good skins for all the characters I play. But I definitely here and there, I'm like, oh, there's, it's on sale. It's only three dollars. Ah, the, the cool looking, you know, leaming as a volleyball yeah. player. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. Um, so yeah, Cause that, yeah, that, that's the lifeblood. You know, the longevity of the game. Right at some point, is they got to keep that money coming in and. Uh... Just curious, but I get it. I, I have coffee at home, but I still go to Starbucks sometimes, or you know, wherever. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And then, of course, I'm spending, as I said at the top of the show, I'm spending a lot of time playing Legion. Uh, man, that end game hook is so well designed, and the integration of the app. I know I talked about it last week, but the app at the end when you've level capped and now uh, world quests are up, and you can you don't have to even be logged into the game. You guys, you can just check on your app, and you're like, ooh. Uh, I level 830 boots are uh, the drop for a quest in, uh, you know, one of the areas of the game. I could jump right in and just, just it'll just take 20 minutes. I'll go and do that quest real quick and I'll get those sweet ass boots. Or you could call Anthony's wife and have her log in and go do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That would be... Just tell her, like, turn left, honey. And then yep. now, now kill 20 boars. <laughs> I don't know why I call my wife honey, but the rest of it. <laughs> that's really that was really weird of me i was thinking about my wife uh but it's okay she would, premise, she would appreciate the it. premise we had established was that it was your wife which makes it super weird <laughs> no it's okay well, the saving grace is her name is honey so yeah yeah anyway uh tell honey uh thank you for letting us uh, use you late at night tonight uh, i really appreciate it all right on that Awkward note. Uh, let's move on and talk a little VR, guys. Um, I don't know if you guys have played any VR games. Christian, are you playing any VR lately? I have been gone for the good chunk of the week, so I have I've the same games I've been playing. Damage Core, I'm still chugging my way through, and Edge of Tomorrow, I'm still chugging my way through. But very very little time under the hood. But you are playing a game that I am very interested in, and I saw Oculus sent out a press release saying, "Sorry, people paid full price for it." Yeah, um, you know we've talked about 
our our love affair this year with Insomniac Games. It seems they can do no wrong, uh, putting out more games than they ever have before. And these are games super high quality. We talked we talked about the um, um, Ratchet and Clank, uh, Ratchet and Clank of the game. Deep. It's so great. Uh, I loved um, uh, Edge of Nowhere. I don't know if you've played any more of that, but uh, so great. It's such a great VR game. Really, really one of my favorite VR games. Um, even um, Sea Song, Song of, of the, the Deep. Deep. Yeah, man, it is late. Uh, th- anyway, they've just been it's been hitting hitting them out of the park. But I know if you are a faithful listener of our show, you heard me talk about my time with Feral Rights at E3, and I walked away going, "Ooh, oh, this might be the exception to that rule. This, this really, really feels bad." So when I got a uh, code to to download Feral Rights, I thought to myself, "Oh man, is I, I will play this, but I kind of not excited about it because the E3 impression I walked away from was it just really it doesn't seem like it's been enough time since then for it to not be bad." Well, I'm glad I was wrong because wow. I I really really like the game. Because that Oculus it was email made me think it was a stinker for sure. I know, and it's been getting kind of tepid reviews, uh, and and I can understand why. You know, from a certain perspective, like, the game really wants to be God of War, and it isn't. It is not that high level. Uh, it, it really, the combat system just does not live up to something like God of War. And and when you're playing on that, in that playground, when you're trying to create a, a real high-level brawler with awesome combos and great graphics, and it's visceral and violent and... You know, obviously it's going to be compared to God of War, and and it does not compare to that game. But, but, and I know know you guys are going to make fun of me because I love VR, and it really is the novelty of VR absolutely makes this game better. And even though the combat system is only just serviceable, it is not spectacular it is not great it's not devil may cry it's not god of war it's not a combat system that uh, inspires uh awesomeness and creativity but it's not a bad combat system at, at e3 i thought the combat system was was actually pretty bad and i thought the way the camera was handled was bad i just thought the game felt wrong they've done a lot of changes since that demo i played at e3 They've tweaked a lot of things. The game looks a lot better. The The camera is pushed in for the most part. The uh, arbitrary uh, – the, the, the way the camera is handled in this game, it's a third-person action adventure like God of War. But since you're in VR, you move your head around and you move the camera around. So in order to deal with that, they have these sort of like set camera positions and then lines on the ground. When you walk past them, the camera jumps to that new position. And when I played it at E3, they had like big glowing walls and uh, you could like pop back and forth between them and it was really problematic. Well, they've done a lot of tweaking since then. It's much more subtle. The lines in the ground don't kind of get in the way anymore and you can't pop back and forth quite as easily, especially when you're in a fight. When you're in a fight, it like walls you off into that area. And that all really actually works a lot better. And because the camera's pushed in more, the VR-ness of the game is accentuated because you're right there with the characters. 
for the most part. Still, there's still a few moments where they can be far away, but for the most part, you're right up next to them, especially when you do like execution moves. And it's great. It's great to be in VR playing a game like this. And the 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 combat system isn't bad. It it like it's fun enough. You know, it's not great, but it's fun enough that the other things about the game, which is like collection, uh, uh, upgrading, there's like a role, you know, sort of role playing esque, like put points in a thing, get better. There's also like buy better equipment, outfit your guy, and that gives you certain bonuses to certain attacks and influences the way you do combos. All of that stuff, literally every element of the game has been done better in another game, but it's all not bad. Like it's all serviceable and fits together and works pretty well. And then you put that in the the context of a VR experience where you've never played a game like this where you're inside that world in the VR uh, experience where you can look around and, you know, you move past a tree and the tree moves right by your head and then you're settled on a, you know, you're settled on a view and like a snake slithers by or, um, you know, it does really fun things like there, there are little lookouts that you can get to and it changes your perspective. And then you literally have to like stare into the environment, move your head around and find a hidden symbol that gives you a cool bonus. It's a silly thing. It's a, it's a minor thing, but it adds variety and it, it takes advantage of that VR perspective and being inside that world. And it's vibrant and colorful and they look awesome i mean i think graphically it, it, it shines i'm having a blast with it it's one of those things where i thought i was going to play for a couple of hours and set it aside and be like oh well this is a, this is one of insomniac's misses rare misses i find myself coming back to it again and again i want to play it i'm having fun i want to explore every inch of the world because it's fun to find things and and explore and see new areas it's really good, and as Christian referenced, it just got discounted. I think it's on sale for ten bucks right now, and full price, it's only thirty down from fifty. So they discounted it in a big way. It's definitely worth ten, and I think it's worth thirty for sure. It's if you have an Oculus, it's well worth playing. Really good game. Feral rights. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what you said could also be used to, and I haven't finished it, but Edge of Nowhere, and I'm not trying to take Edge of Nowhere down a peg, but I think if I were to play um, non-VR versions of Ed- Edge of Nowhere and hold it up against Rise of the Tomb Raider or Uncharted 4, I would say that it is the lesser of those games. But it, sure, but of course. But then pulling off what they've pulled off and having it be in VR and play as well as it plays... You know, is that saying, oh, it's good for, you know, adding the asterisks like for VR? Maybe, but you have to take the whole experience of the game you're playing into consideration when you talk about how good a game is. So I would say Edge of Nowhere is an amazing game. Yes, I'm playing yeah, it in I, VR, and so I think the I same think could I, apply here. I'm not so sure it's even accurate to say it's good for VR. It's like, it's good, it's good enough as a game that it probably wouldn't be special, except that it is in VR, sure. and that makes it special. Like... It really is a special experience. Both of these games really are very special experiences because you've never experienced these type of games before in a VR setting. And that really does transform how you experience those games. You've done a million third-person, you know, jump around the world, Tomb Raider, Uncharted-type games, but you've never done them in VR. You've done a million, you know, brawler, third-person brawler, chain-together-a-combo, air-juggle-type games – but you've never done them in VR. And because they're good enough, they're serviceable, competent, 
There's no big flaw with them. The novelty of doing it in VR really does add something. It's not a gimmick. It's not just stra- you know strapped on, although it is strapped on your face. I would say uh, it is a gimmick and it is strapped on, but that's okay. It's not a gimmick. It's it not a. a gimmick. It's like I don't know. Maybe we have a different. I think it's semantics. I agree gimmick. with you, so I should just quit trying to argue semantics. But I I, I agree with I think your thesis a hundred percent. I think a gimmick. It, well, whatever. We don't have to argue about what gimmick means, but I just think that the 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 baseline experience is unique and special and that's for me enough any input anthony what do you think uh, i mean i i think the game actually looks really cool if, if you tell me it's cool i don't have an oculus unfortunately um i'm probably i'm saving my money to get a psvr so yeah. i'm sorry to the people that i, I know it's obviously not comparable i had a vibe for like a three-week review period and i love that and and if if i ever can you know make the finances happen i i have created a list and i think based on what you're saying i would definitely add this game to the list for sure i keep creating a list of things that the finances allow it to happen and then nvidia keeps releasing new cards and i throw my old card list away (laughs) i know right all right guys uh let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time Right now, right now. So we got an email this week from Dan Amon, uh, who wanted us to. T- I thought this was an interesting topic, and I'm sticking it in tabletop time. It it has to do with tabletop games, but it's kind of even larger than that. Uh, Dan tells us about the. National Toy Hall of Fame at the National Museum of Play. I had never heard of this before, but evidently they are the arbiters of what toys make the Hall of Fame. And the two, uh, excuse me, the 2016 class of Hall of Fame finalists have just been announced. And Dan wanted our opinion because a couple of board games have made the list. I'm gonna actually three. I'm going to read you the finalists, guys, for the uh, Toy Hall of Fame. They say only two or three of these can actually make the Hall of Fame. So I want you to tell me which you would put in and if the board games would make the list. So the board ga- or the uh, card game Uno, which was created in 1971. Transformers, like as a toy line, Transformers is on the list. The Swing, which... I just feel like it's too general to even put in a toy hall of fame. The swing, like a swing, like two ropes and a board. <laughs> swing. I don't know. Uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, which is introduced way back in 1965. Pinball. So, again, another very broad category. It's almost like saying video game, but pinball as a concept. You're not a specific pinball machine, but pinball. Nerf. The Nerf Ball, the original Nerf Ball from the 60s. Fisher Price's Little People, which is like everybody's seen them before. The little rounded head block people that's, that are have no limbs. <laughs> uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I think this is the big thing that Dan wanted us to take note of. The Coloring Book. Care Bears. The board game Clue which was originally introduced as Cluedo in 1947 during World War II. And finally, Bubble Wrap, 
bubble wrap as a toy, guys. So, real quickly, what do you guys think? My vote, obviously, Dungeons & Dragons. I think Dungeons & Dragons deserves to be in the uh, the Toy Hall of Fame. I'm not sure Clue would make it for me as far as board games. But uh, uh, what do you guys think? What do you think, Anthony? Clue. I'm, Clue is my favorite board game of all time. So, Clue. Really? I, literally every item on this list is like a sem, uh, like a seminal play thing. It's so hard to... For, I know, it's hard to say, like, how does Clue compare to Swing? Yes, exactly. Swing not like, already I, in I there? probably played on a Swing more than I played Clue. But I, I, I played on a Swing more than I've done most things yeah, in life. So I, it just, for, for me personally, the three that I would choose is Clue. I love the board game Clue. It's one of my favorite board games of, of all time in terms of, like, the very simple board games. Transformers. I'm wearing a Transformers shirt right now. Uh, I, I love Transformers. I'm wearing a bubble wrap shirt right <laughs> I love now. Transformers, so. and then probably pinball, just because mm-hmm. pinball is very video gamey. Yeah. What about you, Christian? What are your picks? I think that this list is stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bunch of random stuff. It, it lists pinball. But then it has three separate board games. Like, if pinball is going yeah. to be a thing, then tabletop yeah. game should be a thing. Sure. And if swing is a thing, then playground should – like, the the way they go from broad <laughs> to – Yeah, like, I, I hear you. I think that their movement from broad to narrow is, is um, questionable at best. But I think picking from this list, the fact that you have a – play hall of fame and like a swings not already on it or a coloring books not already on it. like what did they put in the first time like earth without earth yeah. i mean I well, it's know. not a play it's not a play hall of fame it's a toy hall of fame which Here's i think question if i don't you... think a coloring book is a toy you it's ha- an activity remind me when jack is older and you're on an airplane it's an activity yeah, it's a great I, activity i don't, I don't, I don't think i like coloring books is it a toy no how, was a how board game a toy these things can't be in the hall of fame at all when is the like what percent of votes do they need and then that's how we need to evaluate like which of these things was up last year and needs to get in this toy hall of fame that's yeah. a good point when is is it, which is the uh, getting in i mean bubble wrap bubble wrap is never getting in bubble wrap well, is bubble wrap famously bet on on toys uh, so bubble wrap every year bubble wrap is up and uh it bet it bet on the game so it, it just, can't that i mean that is that is it's like sold as a toy. door stopper like the door stopper is a great toy for a little kid because he yeah, just the door stopper yeah, where's where's cardboard box yeah, like some <laughs> like the other things i think including coloring books i think are legitimate toys that you play with but bubble wrap just seems like it is a uh, improvisational toy. Yeah, right. It's it was never intended as a toy. Um, I mean, I guess the first that, thing was imagination. That, though, like, come on, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, but taking this list for what it is, my picks would have to be swing, uh, coloring book, and <laughs> pinball because they are the broadest things that have transcended sure. and continue to transcend generations. Well, if if you're going for toys, if it's the toy hall of fame. I want to say uh, I want to say Transformers. I want to say uh, Dungeons and Dragons because I love Dungeons and Dragons, and I want to say uh, Nerf because uh, Nerf. But it's so weird. It's like it's Nerf is the it's it's the Nerf ball. It just says Nerf like the material. 
but it's it's, <laughs> it's like the ner- nerf material because that concept like, of nerf the concept of nerf the, like yeah. i would i would Cotton. take vortex football <laughs> over a nerf ball yeah plastic is on this list because plastic has been used in so yes. many times right. it's yeah. confusing <laughs> to me um yeah I, this is a weird weird thing well sorry dan and dan was all excited about this and I mean, now we, we chose it's a Travis Sham mockery now. We've, we've, <laughs> we've exposed it for the Travis Sham mockery it is. Uh, inductees. You guys didn't want to hear previous inductees? Alphabet. I definitely want to hear, yes. Alphabet Blocks. Okay. Atari 2600. Baby Doll. Are you going to be real pissed at this one? 2009. <laughs> they inducted. <laughs> I can't even say it. In 2009, it. they inducted Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. So why is Nerf Ball getting in there? What is yeah, this? It's true. You already have ball. Covered. Every Covered. ball uh, that's ever been a ball. Covered. <laughs> I like how Bicycle and Big Wheel are in there. Well, Bicycle was a, was inducted in 2000, and it took him nine additional years to get to ball. <laughs> oh, 2011 Blanket. <laughs> blanket? I have a new bubbles. A, a new mission. Oh my god! I joked about cardboard box, but cardboard <laughs> box was in two thousand five. I was a joke. My mission now is to get matches inducted. I would also like to point out: in two thousand three, checkers got in. Ten years later, chess gets in. <laughs> oh. so that tells you all you need to know about the uh, toy hall of fame. It's, yeah. Is this just? Would do you just? I see a poll. Is this just people who found this website down a deep, dark internet hole and were like, oh, I guess I'll vote for these things? I think the Toy Hall of Fame is some guy, uh, some (laughs) uncle with a mustache's house. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, come on over to the Hall of Fame, kids. It's in my basement right this way. I have balls there. (laughs) Guys, last year year they inducted Puppet. Okay. Uh, Let's move on. Let's get out of here. All right. We're getting out of here. (laughs) I'm sorry, Dan. Like, I want to sleep. (laughs) <laughs> also inducted in 2014 oddly enough <laughs> sleep the best <laughs> toy of all that's where i'm a viking um <clears throat> all right guys let's wrap the show up. we got our parting gift coming at you very soon but uh thanks to anthony tarmino and christian spice for staying up late with me and uh keeping me company in my hotel room as i'm away from my wife and child uh Anthony, thank you so much for being here as always you're the best thank you tell me tell people where they can find you and your work all right, super quick list, uh, GameRant.com, all your video game news, reviews, features, all that fun stuff. Um, and then anything, Facebook, YouTube, anything you want to find GameRant related that isn't part of the website, uh, it's just slash GameRant. We have all those locked down, so Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all that fun stuff. And then if you want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter. That's that's kind of the best way to do so. Uh I'll spell it out. It's A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. Ant Tormina is my Twitter account. And then coming up soon, I've pitched it a couple times, uh, the DC Watchtower is a podcast I do with a Screen Rant writer named Andrew Dice where we talk about all of the new DC TV shows, so Gotham, Flash, Supergirl. It's a fun time. Yeah, this year Superman is coming in, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, we'll, don't say that that way. Very negative that is, about the TV shows. That is the worst way you could have possibly said that. That's the way CW said it. They that had is that the as a worst poster, way. A literal poster <sighs> that said, "This fall, this, Superman is coming in, Supergirl." This is 
a clean tag and, show. And I it is completely clean per CW. All right. Okay. Christian, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, this fall, I do have, um, Saturday, I'm doing a show at Muse Cafe in Los Angeles. It's a storytelling show where the premise of the show is you tell a story that you've always wanted to tell. So I have a fun story lined up for that. That's if you're in L.A. Um, the day this comes out, I'll be at the Comedy Store. I don't know when or where, but uh, L.A.'s weird. Twitter's the easiest way to find what I'm doing, kind of, you know, moments notice L.A.-wise, which is at Spicer, and I mentioned it. Uh, it really is hosted on Squarespace. It's not just an ad. It's real life, real life that I pay real money for. Uh, my parenting podcast called Department of Parenting. You can find all the info for that at departmentofparenting.com. And then go ahead and, uh, if you want, uh, Twitch, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then YouTube is Christian Spicer 713. New, bigger content-wise stuff, of, and you know, not just stream archives and stuff like that. Is an early pre-production and coming that way soon. And, uh, oh, Uninformed Opinions is a podcast I do with Stuart Nacht from Cheap Ass Gamer. We're both very busy with a bunch of kids. Um, but, you know, we had a new one come out last week, and we try to do it weekly, but sometimes... You know, we don't. So that is that. What about you, Jeff? Well, I have several other shows for you to check out, including the Slash Filmcast, although I'm not on this week because I'm here at the Oracle Open World event. Uh, but they're talking about Blair Witch, so you want to listen to those guys talk about it because they're smart and funny and fun. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, and I'll be back next week. I think we're doing Magnificent Seven. I'm not sure. Anyway, I also do uh, We Have Concerns with Anthony Carboni. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. It's 20-minute uh, episodes. Give it a shot. I think you'll think it's fun. Uh, guarantee a laugh and maybe something to think about in every episode. Uh, and you can always follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Canada. We appreciate your emails here. We get them. We read them. We love them. Uh, send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, let's wrap up the show, guys, with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Anthony, you have a recommendation to get people through their week? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I uh, originally was going to pitch the show that you're going to pitch, but another show... Oh, you can. That's fine. No, no, no. no. It, another show that I really enjoyed that just had its season finale, um, I don't know, moments ago. I just watched it. Vice Principals. I don't know if anybody has talked about Vice Principals before, but it is... I, I fell off that show. I, I watched really? the first episode and fell off. Yeah. Oh, it is... It is... If you if you like uh, Danny McBride and Jody Hill, who did Eastbound and Down, if you like that type of just like you cringe the entire episode, your whole body is in full cringe mode, and you never know where it's going to go. I think the way the whole season played out, it it consistently delivered on all my expectations. It's a very funny show. It's very different. It is unlike anything else on TV in terms of comedy, and I I really. Um, enjoyed the whole season and knowing that it's complete and there's going to be a new season, I, I recommend it. It didn't fall off a cliff or anything. Awesome. That's East, or excuse me, I was going to say Eastbound. Down. That's Vice Principles, Vice Principles on HBO, right? HBO, yes. Yeah. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? 
Yeah, if you know me and listen to this show enough or followed me in other stuff, you know I like my pop punk, which you know veers into emo or screamo or whatever you want to call it. But um, Taking Back Sunday, a band I have enjoyed quite a, mu- quite a much. I've enjoyed them quite a much over the years. They have a new album out now called Tidal Wave that I believe is on everything, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, all that stuff. And um, I think it's their seventh studio album. If I remember correctly, it's been like six years now since the original band is, you know, back together again. And um, this album, I think they take a lot of chances for a band that's very established and has a sound and a loyal following doing what they've been doing for years. And there are some songs on it that, you know, sound like they could be on Louder Now or any of their other past albums. And then there's also some really, really interesting stuff from them. I mean, it's all like rock right you know it's all they're not they're not doing one all of a sudden is you know they're all playing flutes or whatever but for a band that could have easily put out more of the same and had fans be happy i think it's really cool to see them doing new and different things and uh i've really been enjoying tidal wave by taking back sunday jeff what about you i've said for a long time that alongside the great networks like HBO and Netflix that uh, have uh, the highest batting average for excellent shows, there should be a third pillar, and that should be FX. FX is the place that has my favorite show of all time, The Shield, and lots of other great shows. Their batting average just as good as HBO and Netflix, in my opinion. And their twoest, twoest newest shows, uh, I can heartily recommend. They just debuted two new shows one is called Better Things. Uh, Pamela Adlon and uh, Louis C.K. bring that show to you. It, it does feel like, if you like the show Louis, which I adore, this does feel like female Louis. <laughs> it's 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 the same type of stuff that Louis would deal with, which is like very real, very honest slice of life stuff with a comedic edge, but taken and delivered from a, a female perspective uh, brilliantly, I think. Uh, highly recommend that. It's called Better Things. And then Atlanta, which is uh, really unlike anything else on television. It it's centers around uh, black men in Atlanta that are living uh, in, a, in, a, in a environment that you never see dramatized on television and still manages to be really funny and very smart. Uh, all while being kind of dark and serious and having something to say about all of that stuff. Uh, Man, I I highly, highly recommend both of those shows, Atlanta and Better Things on FX. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Anthony Tarmina and Christian Spicer for uh, staying up late with me on this Sunday evening. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. Thanks to everybody that hung out in the chat room and made the show better by being with us. And thanks to all of you who downloaded the show. Please do share it with your friends. Maybe take a second, rate us highly on your platform of choice. It does help. That's the only way to make our little show that can continue, and that is to spread the word and, and keep keep getting the word out. Uh, So we appreciate that. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.